A very happy Easter to everyone and especially a warm welcome to anyone who's here with us for the first time. Thank you so much for coming to celebrate with us uh, this glorious day as we remember the resurrection of Jesus from uh, the dead. There's an outline of the talk we're going to be looking at uh, today in your bulletin, so you might like to open up there. There's a few points there to follow along. And if you can turn in your Bibles uh, to Luke chapter 24, uh, that would be helpful on page 1066. And we'll also be referring to the Psalm, Psalm chapter 2 later on as well. So you might like to put a bookmark in there for later. As we come to God's Word, let us uh, pray and ask for his, uh, his help and wisdom in understanding uh, this event at the centre of history. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord, we, we indeed praise you for the glorious things that you have done that you sent your son, that he died, and three days later you, you raised him from the grave. And Father, we pray that as we, we consider the, the facts of his resurrection and the meaning and significance of it this morning, uh, that you might be at work in our hearts, transforming us, that we might respond rightly to him as our Lord and King. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how certain are you of what will happen when you die? As you, you consider life after death, how, do you have a, a certain hope uh, of what will happen? Or is it more of a doubtful desire, hoping that, that things will work out and be okay? Now, of course, uh, death is not a topic we discuss very often. Uh, most people avoid the topic most of the time. Uh, I, suspect, I suspect that is because for, for most people, death is something uh, uncertain, some, something that we fear. Uh, we secretly hope that everything will be okay. But the truth is we're not so sure most of the time. Now that should be of no surprise to us outside of, uh, of Christianity. No, no other religion really has answers to the questions of life after death. The, the Buddhist and the Hindu uh, just hopes for, uh, hopes for a better reincarnation, that they might uh, somehow uh, have a better life, but they have no assurance of whether it will be better, whether it'll be a rat or whether there'll be an elephant or whatever it will be in the life to come. It's the same for the Muslim. There's, there's no hope, there's no, there's no assurance uh, except that God may be merciful uh, to you. And then there's the free thinker, of course, uh, who, I guess, blindly hopes that, that if there is anything after death, then uh, they'll be fine, even though they've done nothing to prepare for it. Now, we see this uncertainty when we go to, to non-Christian funerals. Uh, I've been to a few this year, and uh, they're always full of, of ceremonies and, and chantings and offerings, uh, and they're performed over and over and over again uh, in the hope that, that, that somehow, if we just do these things, then maybe we'll be able to get the deceased person to a better place. But, but there doesn't seem to be much hope. We'll burn paper money, we'll burn paper houses, uh, just like the ancient emperors used to fill their tombs uh, with riches and money and women and terracotta warriors and all the rest, in a vain hope that, that somehow we could secure the afterlife. But in the face of death, most people have a lot of doubts about whether it will be okay. And most of it is based on little or no actual evidence at all. 
Well, I wonder about you this morning. How certain are you of what will happen when you die? Uh, do you have a certain hope? Or is it more of a doubtful desire it will all work out? Well, for the next little while, we're going to consider Luke's account of the resurrection of Jesus. Luke was a, was a doctor by profession, uh, but once he was converted, he actually became something like an investigative historian. He, he gathered together all the eyewitnesses' accounts of what had happened to Jesus, uh, and he put them together in the account we have here in Luke's Gospel. Uh, and he tells us right back at the start in his introduction, as you can see on the screen, his purpose uh, in writing. Uh, he writes, uh, he says, uh, that we might have certainty of the things you have been told. Uh, Luke tells us what he did, verse 2, he, he went and talked to all of the eyewitnesses. Uh, verse 3, he checked everything, he followed it all through closely, he checked the facts. He wanted to make sure that everything that he wrote down here was absolutely true, certain and reliable, so that we might have certainty about who Jesus is. And as he comes to the, to the climax of his gospel, Dr. Luke, who, who of all people would know the difference between life and death, I presume he saw a few patients in his time. Well, Dr. Luke tells us about the historical fact of the resurrection of the man Jesus Christ from the dead. So my aim this morning is, is simple, that we might be certain that the resurrection of Jesus was real, and that the resurrection of Jesus might give us certainty of life after death. Well, point one on your outlines. Uh, we can be certain the resurrection of Jesus uh, was real. Now, before we come to this point, Luke has already made it perfectly clear that we can be certain that Jesus was actually dead. Uh, in chapter 23, we read of how his, his execution was overseen by a group of professional soldiers. His, his body was laid in a tomb by a respected member of, of the Jewish council. A, a group of women followed to the tomb. They knew it was the right tomb. They didn't go to the wrong place. Jesus was really dead. But as we come to our passage this morning from verses 36 to 53, he wants us to understand that, that this Jesus who was really dead was now really physically, bodily alive. And he gives us a few pieces of evidence here. Now, verse uh, 36, he says how unexpected the whole thing was. As they were still uh, talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and, and frightened and, and thought they saw a spirit. Now, uh, of course, their response is to be absolutely expected, isn't it? I mean, just imagine you've, you've just been to the funeral uh, you're still in shock, you come home, you sit down at the, at the lunch table to try and eat a few pieces of food, uh, you sit down, you look up, and there is old Auntie Wong sitting there at the table next to you. I'm pretty sure you would uh, jump back in your seat, isn't it? Uh, but it is interesting that uh, they've already been told many times that, that Jesus would be raised from the dead. Uh, Jesus himself had told them on multiple occasions that this would happen. Uh, back in verse, verse 10 of this chapter, the, the women had come back from the tomb uh, and reported uh, that Jesus, the message from the angel, he is not here, he is risen. But we're told they, they, they didn't believe it. 
They thought it was an idle tale. Oh, the next day, Jesus had appeared to these, to these two disciples on, on the road to Emmaus. Uh, they'd returned in verse 34 saying, uh, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared uh, to Simon. Uh, and they're still discussing this fact, actually, as, as Jesus appears in the room right in front of them. Uh, they'd been told it was going to happen. But despite all of that, the resurrection was a great shock indeed for those first disciples. You see, the disciples were not gullible people, you know, switching off their minds, unable to tell the difference between fact uh, and fiction. Sometimes people have this thought about, about Christianity. It's for, it's for people who have uh, this crutch that they need, some, some, some hope when there's no actual evidence or facts to it. Well, that wasn't the disciples. They struggled to believe this too when they first heard it, but they did believe it in the end because the proof was just too overwhelming. Well, look how Jesus responds to them, verse 38. He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. Now, I don't know about uh, you, but I haven't seen any ghosts uh, recently, personally, actually at all. Uh, but I have uh, learned a few facts about ghosts from Ghostbusters, right? Uh, basically, this is how it goes. If you try to touch a ghost, your hand will go straight through. Uh, because ghosts, by definition, are not physical beings, right? But Jesus here is not a ghost. Uh, the people who proclaimed him alive they touched his physical body. With their own hands, they did it. And, and, and Luke emphasizes this, uh, this for us. That this Jesus that they now see before him, before them, this Jesus that they can now touch with their very own hands, it's the same Jesus who died just a few days earlier. And note how Jesus, what Jesus says. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. It's as if he, he holds up his hands with, with the nail marks, the scars still there. This was not an imposter that just turned up someone who had a, a resemblance to Jesus. This wasn't just uh, some kind of hallucination. The very same Jesus who they had seen two days earlier, nailed to the cross, buried in the tomb, was the same Jesus that now stood right in front of them. This was a real, physical, bodily resurrection. Now, as you can understand, they, they still struggle to believe it, though. I mean, uh, can you imagine it? A, a body that you just seen dead, the scars are still there in their hands, and the body's alive. What would you do? Seems too good to be true. And so Jesus kindly gives them another piece of evidence uh, there in verse 40. When he'd said this, he, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and, and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it uh, before them. Uh, see, uh, for the disciples, just seeing and touching, it wasn't enough really, was it? I mean, it, it all just seemed too good to be true. Uh, so Jesus eats this fish. I don't know if this was his favorite dish. Uh, you know, maybe if he was alive today, he would have asked for some durian, but 
broiled fish was all the go those days, I don't know. But the specific description here, it, it, it speaks of an eyewitness account, doesn't it? It was, it was a broiled fish. Of course, a ghost can't eat fish. Uh, one preacher puts it this way, uh, uh, ghosts don't leave teeth marks, right? Uh, but this fish, it went in the mouth, and then it went into the stomach. It didn't fall onto the ground uh, on the floor. Uh, Jesus could eat because he was real. He was physically alive. Now, I wonder what you make of this eyewitness testimony. Uh, sometimes people will say, look, I, I want some scientific evidence that Jesus was really alive. None of this historical stuff. I mean, how can I trust the accounts of his own disciples. They're biased, aren't they? How could I believe them? Uh, but of course, we trust eyewitness testimony all the time. In every court case, the witnesses come in one by one uh, by one. Uh, of course, they have their own biases as they give their testimonies, isn't it? But the testimony is to be weighed. A judgment is to be made. Uh, historical evidence is is no less reliable than scientific evidence or we wouldn't have a court system at all. Now there's been plenty of books that uh, make a compelling case uh, for the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, two of my uh, favourite ones are uh, Who Moved the Stone uh, by Frank Morrison and uh, More Than a Carpenter. Uh, both those books are very interesting. The authors were, were non-Christians uh, and they were quite opposed to Christianity. Originally they set out to write books to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and so they started to investigate all of the evidence uh, for it. But uh, instead of writing a book to dismiss Christianity, in the end, they were, they were so uh, compelled by the evidence that was before them that they actually became Christians and wrote books, uh, uh, and wrote books independently of each other, actually uh, commending Christianity. Now, it may be today that you're here as a bit of a skeptic. I mean, I, I, I don't know if you've seen any people raised from the dead recently. I certainly haven't. I, uh, it, it could put a, bit, a few doubts in our minds. But let me ask you, what other counter-explanations counter would you give for this day? He wasn't really dead. You know, the, the professional soldiers who were overseeing a, a public execution with his opponents standing by watching, they made a mess of it. Unlikely. Oh, perhaps he, perhaps he, he, had, he had just fainted and they'd missed it, but in the coolness of the tomb he, he resuscitated. Uh, but is it really so rational to think that a man who'd been beaten, starved for three days, would have the strength to roll back a stone uh, that needed many men to fill it, overpower the guards and walk out as if nothing had happened? Perhaps someone stole the body. Well, who stole the body? The, the disciples stole the body? The, the disciples went to their death. Who's going to die for something that they know is false? That's crazy. Maybe the religious leaders stole the body. Well, if the religious leaders stole the body, then, then why didn't they produce the body when everyone started saying that Jesus had been raised from the dead? They could have just, look, here's the body right here. The most rational explanation of the facts before us is that Jesus was really, physically, bodily, alive. And that these eyewitness accounts, could they be true? Could they be true?
question, I think, is are we really willing to consider the evidence? I think sometimes the problem is not a lack of evidence. Is all the evidence you need for the resurrection is right here and in other parts outside the scriptures as well. Uh, often it's not a lack of evidence. Maybe perhaps you come here today and you, you secretly know that it's true, that he was raised from the dead. But it's just that we rather wish that he wasn't. Because we know that if he was raised from the dead, then my life will have to change. And so it's easier maybe to, to cast a bit of doubt on the evidence, to deny the evidence. But the historical evidence is actually quite compelling. His resurrection was real. It was unexpected to the disciples, and yet they came to believe it as they saw him, they touched him, they watched him eat. Now, if Jesus has been raised from the dead, it changes everything, doesn't it? If Jesus has been, has been raised from the dead, then, then death is not the end. This, this life is not all that it is. Uh, if, if Jesus has been, been raised from the dead, then, then I'd better get ready for the next world to come because there is more than this present existence that is before me. But I'll only be ready and I'll only rightly re respond to the resurrection of Jesus if I understand what it really means. Uh, see, it's one thing to know that there is life after death, but, but what does it mean that Jesus has been raised from the dead? Why is this so important? And so Luke takes us on to, to point two. Jesus' resurrection was not just real. It was promised by God. Uh, Luke takes us to an even deeper basis for certainty. He takes us back to the word of God uh, itself. Uh, you see, God had promised over hundreds and hundreds of years beforehand in his, in his grand salvation plan that one would come and die and rise. And Jesus declares that this is the center of all of God's plans for history. Have a look as Jesus goes on in verse 44. Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now, what Jesus is, is saying here is, is, is basically that the, that the events of his death and his resurrection are no less than the central events of all of history. Everything in history has been leading up to this point. This is what life is about. The law, the prophets, the writings, uh, uh, the first book of the writings was the Psalms. Jesus is talking about the whole of the Old Testament. Jesus is saying the Old Testament, it's all been about him. The, this Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, which records God's great salvation plan. Uh, how God would rescue humanity from their sins, bring them back into right 
relationship with God, Luke wants us to understand that right at the centre of that grand salvation plan is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. See, if we're to understand life in this world, if we're going to prepare properly for the world to come, then we have to come to terms with the meaning of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it is the Old Testament part of the Scriptures that helps us to understand why this is so significant. See, the Old Testament tells us we were, we were created by God for, for a special relationship with Him. Uh, but, but like Adam and Eve in the garden, we, we all rebel against God's rightful rule. Uh, we're a bit like uh, rebellious teenagers. don't know if you've got any of those at home. Uh, but uh, rebellious teenagers who, who think they know better than their parents. Uh, we reject God. We, 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 we think we know better than Him. We think we'll be better off without Him. And since the beginning of the world, our, our world has been under judgment. Our relationship with God is broken. Our world is cursed. There is fighting and bitterness and strife everywhere. Our world is full of death. But the Old Testament also promises and pictures for us a, a grand salvation plan, a saviour king who would come to rescue humanity from death and from sin. Uh, he'd be the, be the serpent crusher from Genesis 3, the one who would come and defeat Satan once and for all. He'd be the, the Passover lamb promised in Exodus 12, the, who would be sacrificed in the place of his people. Uh, he'd be the suffering servant who would, who would bear on himself all the punishment that humanity deserves for their sins. But the Old Testament doesn't just promise a saviour who will die. It promised a king who would rule forever and ever. And, and this is how we are to understand the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, see, the resurrection of Jesus is not just a, a proof that he is God. I take it it is that. It doesn't simply prove that his sacrifice uh, was successful, although it does that as well. The resurrection of Jesus shows that he is the king, that, that he is the Christ who will rule forever and ever. Now, Christ is one of those terms that we can easily mix up. It's not his uh, surname. It's not like you look up in the address book and you're going to find you know, Chin, Chen, Chong, and then Christ there. Right? Uh, Christ is his title. It's like Dato. It's like Tan Sri. Uh, and the title means King. He is God's promised king, the one who would rule forever. Uh, we, we encountered this king back in, in Psalm chapter 2. You might like to turn back there to Psalm chapter 2. Uh, it's on page uh, 537. Uh, and there in, in, in Psalm chapter 2, we see the world raging against God and his king. Uh, the cry is for autonomy. The cry is for, uh, for freedom. They want to rid uh, themselves of God's rule. They want to, to rid themselves of God's king and live their own way in freedom, free to, uh, free to do whatever they want with no restraints from God. And the New Testament sees that fulfilled as the, the nations gather together to, to, to put Jesus together on the cross. But in the psalm, God laughs from heaven 
He laughs. He says, verse 6, As for me, I've, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill, uh, despite all of humanity's uh, rebellion and sin, despite humanity putting his king on the cross, hanging him there to die. God laughs at humanity's wicked rebellion, as if we could do away with him so easily. God raises him from the dead. He installs him on the throne and, and he speaks to his king in Psalm 2 and verse 8. Verse 7, sorry. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. The ends of the earth your possession. You'll break them with a rod of iron. You'll dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. See, that the, the Christ, God's promised king was to be God's absolute, universal, eternal ruler. Uh, this, this king would be the one who would rule over, over all nations. All the nations would be his inheritance. He'd be the king of kings, the lord of lords. He would rule forever and ever. He would never leave the throne. And it's as if as, as God raises Jesus from the dead on the third day, he declares to the world... This is the one, this is the king who will rule forever. God has raised Jesus to put him on the throne. And as the psalm says, one day he will return to judge all his enemies. He'll break them with a rod of iron. He'll dash them in pieces like a potter's uh, vessel. Here is a king who is not to be messed with. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to him. He rules over every tribe, every people, every person, whether we acknowledge him or not. He is there in heaven. He is on the throne. He is coming back one day. And he demands that we respond to him. That's how the psalm ends. O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. The resurrection was real. There was real historical evidence He was raised. But the resurrection was promised. It, it, its meaning was that Jesus is the King of kings who will who rule as God's absolute universal King. And if that is true, then Jesus' resurrection demands a radical response. But point three. Turn back with me to Luke chapter 24. There's two parts to this plan, isn't it? Verse 45, He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And the response, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Uh, the Bible says if Jesus is king, then the right response is to repent. Now, repentance is a fairly easy word for Malaysians to understand. Uh, repentance just means a U-turn. And I've worked out that uh, Malaysians are pretty good at U-turns. They will do it anywhere, at any time, no matter the consequences for the traffic. 
Uh, well, repentance is a U-turn. Repentance is a, is a change of mind that leads to a change in action. And the point is, if Jesus has been raised from the dead, if he is the king of kings, then the only logical response is to turn around, to, to stop living my own way, uh, to stop seeing my own self-autonomy and freedom as the way to go, but to instead turn to him, to let him be Lord, to let him be king. And there's the wonderful promise here that as we do, as we repent and turn to him, that we receive the forgiveness of our sins in his name. It's a wonderful promise, isn't it? As we, as we turn to Jesus as our Lord, we turn to the one who still bears the scars in his hands and his feet. We, we turn to the one who had already died for us on the cross, that he might cleanse us of, of all of our sins. We turn to the one who first came to serve us. And, and that makes sense of his first words to the disciples there in verse 36. He, he stands in, in the room, he says to them, peace to you. When the, when the Bible uses the word peace, uh, it speaks of peace with God. Uh, and so as I, as I turn to Jesus as my saviour, as I trust him as my king, I'm no longer an enemy of God. I'm no longer under his judgment. I no longer need to fear death because I've been reconciled to him. I have peace. I have a right relationship. And, and that fact is captured really beautifully as Luke ends his gospel there in verse 50 and 51. As the, as the risen Jesus ascends to heaven to, to sit down on his throne. We read verse 50. He led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he, he parted from heaven, from them and was, and was carried up to heaven. What, what's the last thing that the risen Jesus does as he goes to sit on the throne? He blesses his people. So here is the ground, isn't it, of, of assurance and certainty in the face of death. Here is the king who sits on the throne, who offers forgiveness, who offers peace, who's gone to heaven to prepare a place for all who will trust in him. If Jesus is my king, there is nothing to fear. For the one who I will face past death is the one who gave his life for me. And that certainty brings two final responses from the disciples there in verse 52. Worship and praise. They worshipped him and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. Uh, worship is only due to God himself. But the disciples worship Jesus. They, they recognize this one who had died and risen was God himself in the flesh. And as they reflect on what has happened, they are filled with joy. The tomb's empty. Death's not the end. Jesus wins. He's on the throne. 
Evil will one day be overthrown. Evil will not have the last word. Evil seems so powerful, doesn't it? Jesus will win in the end. And so they praise him day after day after day. It's not just an Easter Sunday thing, is it? It's a, this is a cause for continual praise. For every day he's on the throne. Every day is one day closer to the day he'll return and bring us to his kingdom. What else could we respond to such glorious good news as this but to praise God forever and ever for what he's done for us? The resurrection is real. The resurrection was promised. Jesus is the king on the throne. The resurrection demands a response that we turn to him in repentance and receive his forgiveness and peace and life. So let's return to the question we began with. How certain then are you of what will happen when you die? Do you have certainty? Or is it more of a wish? A hope that it will work out okay? Jesus was raised physically from the dead, never to die again. He's the king who rules over all nations. He demands a response. We can have certainty in the face of death. The resurrection of Jesus gives us that certainty. If Jesus is raised, then that is all the compelling evidence that I need that, that one day I too will be raised. Jesus himself said that that would be the case. A day is coming when, when all will be raised from their graves to appear before his judgment throne. And all who have bowed the knee to him will be welcomed into his kingdom. I wonder if you died tonight, would you be sure that God would accept you? You can be. But God commands this morning that you repent, that you turn to Jesus, that you acknowledge him as the, as the rightful Lord of your life. And the promise here for each and every one of us this Easter morning is that all who turn to him are given a fresh start by the Lord of the universe, forgiveness, peace, Life, certainty in the face of death. Will you turn to this Lord? Will you trust him as your king this Easter? And if you have done that already, then now may our lives be filled with the worship that is his due and the continual praise and joy and thanksgiving that we know that the tomb is empty, Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this wonderful news 
this Easter morning that Jesus was really raised physically and bodily from the dead. The tomb was empty. That he ascended to heaven. That he sat down on the throne. That he rules even now over all the world. Father, we thank you for this, your grand plan to rescue humanity from sin and death, to restore us to relationship with you. And uh, Father, we pray if there, if there are any here this morning who have not yet bowed the knee to Jesus as their, as their King, that you would help them to turn to him this morning. that they would come to him and receive the forgiveness and the life and the certainty that you offer. And Father, we pray that you would fill us with praise to you, that you would fill us with joy, not only this day, but every day, that we would worship you with everything that we have, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.